Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Okay, you can be seated. All right, we want to... We want to continue with our series on biblical language in numbers. And this is going to be part number seven. Biblical language in numbers, this is part number seven. And we're going to be dealing with number nine. That is, you can't one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Number nine is used uh, almost about 49 times in the scriptures. Almost about 49 times in the scriptures. Actually, the number nine stands for divine completeness. Just keep that in steady. It stands for completeness or divine completeness or conveying the meaning of finality. Divine completeness or convey the meaning of finality. That's something which is complete. Praise the Lord. Now, if you look at the scriptures, you find that Abraham was 99 years old when he got the promise for Isaac. He was 99 years old when he got the promise for Isaac. Again, when you look at the scriptures, you find that Hosea was the last king of Israel. I mean, and he reigned for nine years. King Hosea, the last king of Israel, reigned for nine years. If you look at the Old Testament as well, you find that there are at least nine groups of individuals who practice sorcery. Sorcery from a witchcraft. About nine set of people, if you take time to study. Again, if you look at the Old Testament, you find that we have nine people that were leprous. That's who contacted leprosy or were recorded that they have leprosy. People like Miriam, Naaman, Gehazi, King Azariah, and then you talk about the four lepers. As seen in Second King chapter seven, we have nine people that were recorded that they have leprosy in the Old Testament. According to the laws of the Jews, we have nine people that were stoned to death. You go by the Jewish custom. I mean. The categories of people that should be stoned to death were nine. 
You have the Sabbath breakers, you have the blasphemers, you have the Abimelech, I mean, uh, the Achan, Zechariah, Doran, all of those people were stoned to death. And uh, there were nine categories of people. And the last person that was stoned to death in the scripture was Stephen, like you find in the book of Acts. Praise the Lord. I'm just laying some foundation for you to come to the place of the true significance of the number nine as used in the Bible. Nine also stands for judgment, like we begin to see all of those things. Number nine stands for judgment as well. Now, so if you take time to look at the Bible, you'll find that we have nine generations from Adam to Noah. Judgment came in. And then we have nine generations from Noah to Abram. Nine generations from Adam to Noah. Nine generations from Noah to Abraham. Now, what we begin to wonder sometimes, if you think all these things are just coincidence, as said in the Bible, take that child down to sleep. Praise the Lord. We, we begin to see that there are specific, very significant applications on the number nine. And let's begin to look at that, which is very, very critical and important. For instance, Christ died at the ninth hour of the day, or what you call by 3 p.m., which opens the way of salvation to all mankind. He died at the ninth hour. I mean, I'm talking about Jesus now. In other words, number nine is tied to the salvation of humanity. For well, Christ died at the night hour, because it's 3 p.m. Something very significant again you find in the book of Acts chapter 10. You find that the angel that came to Colinius came at the night hour. The angel that was sent from Colinius or Colinius to go call Peter came in at a night hour in the book of Acts. I mean, I want you to see if this is just mere coincidence. So, in the case of Colinius now, like in Acts chapter 10, like I'm saying, he came at a night hour, and so the Gentile finally came into the fold when this visitation came. And what time did he come? At a night hour. Don't forget, Jesus died at the night hour. Is that okay? Very good. And this is very, very important. Now I'm going to show you some things now, how the scripture begins to use this thing for us. Look at the book of Romans chapter 8, and let's start reading from number 36. We'll find that some of the major 
warfares, if I may use the word, or tribulations that want to hinder us from achieving the full realization of the Christ spirit are nine. So look at that in Romans 8, verse 36. I begin to read and it says, As it is written, for their sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 38, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principality, nor powers, nor thing present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nine major factors that can separate you from walking in the love of Christ. So you take time to study that, you begin to see. Talk about no high, no depth, no, you don't, you... You have to take time to go study what all of those things are actually talking about. But Paul listed nine major factors here that can separate us from the love of Christ. And he said, well, we are more than conquerors. By implication, through the spirit of Christ within you, you can overcome these nine factors that can separate you from the love of God. Amen? Are you getting that? You take time to see it. For yourself. You'll be able to see that Paul enumerated these things and he said they can separate us. They can keep you away. Life. They can keep you away from the love of God. And it's so vitally important you understand. Remember Jesus made a statement in the book of Luke. Even the Matthew said the same thing. Except you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister. You cannot be my disciple. How I many of you have your right in your Bible? What is that supposed to mean? Jesus didn't mean to say go and hate people or hate your relations. No. What he meant to say is if you can't love me more than those people, you can't be my disciple. You do get that? The word hate means to love less. It just simply means to love more. God doesn't hate people. So why would Jesus be telling you to hate your father or your mother before you can be his disciples? What he's telling you is, except the love you have for me is more than these people. And you find the same thing with, I think, Luke 11 or so, when these guys came saying, oh, we follow you. Remember that? Okay. And then the next thing he said, Jesus called one of them and said, you can follow me. He said, no, permit me to go bury my father. And you understand that? What was Jesus' statement to him? Let the dead bury the dead. So to him, even though people are alive, but you, don't, you, don't, you are not in the camp, you are not a disciple, you are a dead man. Let the dead bury the dead. In other words, you have life already in me. And so don't get carried away by what people are doing at the expense of your love for me. And so that's what Paul is saying here. Praise the living God. Death, height, life, life itself, but not Zoe life, 
the beauty of life, the glory of life, all of those things that we purchase sometimes, Paul said, this thing can separate us from what? The love of Christ. There are nine factors there. Go check and go study and see what is separating you from the love of Christ. And it's important you understand that, that we can be separated unknown to us when those factors begin to operate in our lives without our knowing. There are nine factors. Romans chapter 8 I read just now. Is that okay? All right. Are you there with me? Now, interestingly, again, you find that in Galatians chapter 5, number 9 stands for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 23. Number 9 stands for the fruit of the Spirit. The beauty of number 9. You have nine factors that can separate you from the love of Christ, and then you have the balancing of the nine gift of the Spirit, they can enable you to not just flow, but then manifest that which is truly the love of Christ as well. And so what do you find in Galatians 5, verse 22? But the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Amen? Nine gift of the Spirit. Are you saying that? You need to see how significant this number is in the scriptures and how it works. Praise the Lord. So Paul again mentioned for us here, nine gift of the Spirit. Just like we have nine factors, they can separate you from the love of God or love of Christ. We also have the nine gift of the Spirit that gets you to walk in the love of Christ. Because you see, when you look at that scripture, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now I want you to pick that. It didn't say the fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is that supposed to mean? That means, of all the other fruits you see in there, like joy, peace, all of those in long-suffering, temperance, gentleness, they are all factors in one thing, love. That's why the fruit of the Spirit is love, not the fruits. One fruit, but out of that one fruit begins to flow all other giftings. Is it making sense to you? Praise the Lord. So, one thing you need to check is, do you have love? Now, remember what Jesus said. None of this thing can separate us from the love. Are you see that with me? Now, that means if you are not able to flow or manifest all of this gift here of the fruit of the Spirit, it simply means one of those things or two of those factors are militating against your life manifesting the fruit of the Spirit. Where you don't have long-suffering, where you don't have gentleness, where you don't have goodness, where you don't have faith, meekness, temperance, if all of these things are not working in your life as they should walk, then Romans chapter 8 is at work. Somewhere 
There is something there that is separating you from the love of God, the love of Christ. And when you have the love of Christ, you begin to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Are you getting it? Praise the Lord. Number nine, and this one for me is very, very crucial. Now, now I want you to get this. Jesus died at the night hour, which speaks about our salvation now, opened the way for us to be saved. We've come into salvation, but we will not find that there are nine things that are militating against the love that we are supposed to have for our salvation. And then we begin to see that when we have the love, we are going to begin to manifest the fruit, as it were, of the Spirit. If we can overcome, because remember, I'm persuaded that we are overcomers, that nothing, no power can be able to separate us from the love of God. So in all of these things, we are more than conquerors, meaning you are supposed to conquer any of those nine gifts, I mean, nine things that are supposed to be stopping you from manifesting the love of God. So we are more than conquerors. That means it's a warfare. To really have the love of Christ is a warfare. Are you still there with me? Are you following this? All right. Now, the most interesting aspect that I want us to see is from 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 7 to 9. And I want us to read from the Amplified Translation. Here the Bible tells us that now you have been able to overcome, you're flowing the love of God. What's the next thing? You're going to be growing in grace, and you need nine things to grow in grace. How interesting is this? Look at this. Amplified translation. I'm talking about the characteristics of growing in grace. These are some of the qualities. Now, follow it again. Jesus died at the ninth hour. We have nine things that can stand against you manifesting or receiving the salvation that he died for. And then we have the ninth fruit of the Spirit. By the time you finally overcome those things, you begin to manifest the ninth gift or the ninth fruit of the Spirit. Are you following what I'm saying now? Galatians 5. Good. Now, when you start manifesting the ninth fruit of the Spirit, there is something that begins to work in your life that is growing in the grace that you've received. So, what are some of those things, again, that enable you to grow in the grace? There are nine factors, and I'll show you. Second Peter 1, I'm reading from verse number 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle, special messenger of Jesus Christ, to those who have received, obtained an equal privilege of like precious faith with ourselves in and through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. May grace, God's favor, and peace, which is perfect well-being, all necessary. And I always like the definition of grace. What is peace? I mean peace. Peace is what? Perfect well-being, unnecessary good, or spiritual prosperity, and freedom from fears and agitation, passions and moral conflict. Oh, that's peace. Hallelujah. They multiply to you in the full personal, precise, and a correct knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3. For his divine power 
has bestowed upon us all things that are requisite and seated to life and godliness through the full personal knowledge of him who called us by and to his own glory and excellent virtue. Verse 4. By means of this he has bestowed on us his precious and exceeding great promises so that through them you may escape out of flight from the moral decay, rottenness and corruption that is in the world because of covetousness, loss and greed, and become sharers, partakers of the divine nature. Now you begin to follow. For this very reason, adding to your diligence, that is to the divine promises, employ every effort in exercising your faith to develop one virtue. Excellent resolution, Christian energy. You are growing in grace. And in exercising and developing this virtue, outward knowledge. Number two. What is knowledge? Eh? Intelligent. Which is spiritual intelligence. You've been saved. You already become a, a conqueror. I mean, you are coming all of those nine things that can stand against your growth in grace. And then you receive the gift of the Spirit. I mean, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Now you ought to be growing in this grace that you have received. So what's the number two thing you need? Knowledge. So how much of knowledge, divine knowledge in particular, do you have about the things of God? And in exercising knowledge, develop number three, self-control. Are you there with me? What did I say? Self-control. <laughs> you just need the strength and the energy of the spirit to actually have self-control most times. If self-control is working in your life, you know for sure you can overcome certain trials and temptations. Even gluttony. Huh? Yeah, because sometimes... You're looking at very big things, but do you know you can over, overeat yourself? Do you, you understand that? What about if your food prepared is so delicious? Do you, can you try to get out of the kitchen for once? That's a problem. <laughs> you understand that? That's self-control. You see what I mean? It's so simple. Praise the Lord. As you develop control, self-control, number 14, you have to have what? Steadfastness. What is steadfastness? Patience, endurance. Patience, endurance. The next thing you need to grow in the grace is patience and what? Endurance. And this time, it has to do with, if I may use the word, is there anything you believe in God for? Is there any trial you're passing through? Are you getting discouraged because what you're asking for, you have not received it? You need patience. You need endurance. Or you lose faith, even in the grace of God and the love of God that he has for you. Praise the living God. And in exercising that, it's a, you develop a steadfastness. 
Number six would have one godliness, which is piety. Develop godliness. The next thing. And in exercising godliness, you develop brotherly affection. Brotherly affection. And in doing that, you develop Christian love. Nine major qualities that enables you to grow in the grace. How much love do you have for your brother? Can we take it from a simpler translation? Maybe very simple translation. Just read it from verse number five, if you can. So don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character. What is that? Spiritual understanding. Alert discipline. Passionate patience. Reverent wonder. Warm friendliness. Generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing into the other. The last one is so powerful. One friendliness and word, generous love. Praise the Lord. Can you see that? Why? Because it's flowing from the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. Galatians 5. Can you, can you still remember that? Praise the Lord. Now, so you need to ask yourself, if you're really growing in grace, how much of God's generous love do you have? How much of warm affection do you have for your brother or your sister? What is the kind of love that you demonstrate? Think about that. These are the things that tell you that you are growing in grace. How long can you put up with people who don't seem to see eye to eye with you, even if it is either what you believe or what you feel you should believe? How long do you, I mean, how far can you tolerate people who don't see with you, even in your faith? Patient endurance. How, how far can you go tolerating people who, who seems to be stubborn, even with all that you're trying to do? If you start developing these characters, then you should be able to tell yourself you are growing in the grace. So you see, it is easy to come to the grace, but again, we need to grow in the grace. And if you have come to the place of saying, well, I'm growing in the grace, these are the things you should be able to exercise yourself in, or you go to examine them and see if you qualify for all of these things that we're talking about, then you know you're growing in the grace. And I said there are nine characteristics for you to know you are growing in the grace. Number nine is powerful. Praise the Lord. So one of the things that really comes along with number nine is cleansing and attaining wisdom. You see, in all of this thing, we are more than conquerors. Right? So we can be separated from those things. We are persuaded 
that in all of these things that are trying to war against our grace and faith, we are more than conquerors. There's a cleansing power in number nine. And not just that, it comes to the play of attaining what? Wisdom. Because it talks about knowledge in Second Peter. Now, the man that begins to walk in these nine characteristics of Second Peter chapter 1, like we have just read, is a man that has wisdom. Praise the living God. Are we together? Amen. Are you still following me? So one of the things that number nine speaks for or reveal to us is what? Wisdom and cleansing. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. We can overcome them. You understand that? When you overcome them, you move into the realm of the fruit of the Spirit. From the realm of the fruit of the Spirit, you begin to develop what? Character. You see that? And that character speaks about wisdom now. Because, you see, a man that is really matured, a man that has come to the place of full character, he can demonstrate wisdom anytime, anywhere. Praise the Lord. Do you know that there is wisdom sometimes when people insult you and you don't insult them back? Do you see that to be wisdom? <laughs> it's hard. And then you need to begin to find out why Jesus would say if somebody slap you on this cheek, turn the other cheek. You think there's no wisdom there? You think he who said it didn't know why he said it? Do you know that there's a lot of wisdom not to revenge? If people offend you. All of those things are found in that second Peter. Because you can have patience, you can have long suffering, endurance for such people who perhaps want to abuse you or misuse you, whatever the case may be. It's not all the time you prove your rights. That is not Christian maturity, that is not growing in grace. Praise the Lord. So what are we saying number nine is talking about? I said it speaks about cleansing and attaining toward wisdom. And like I said, number nine speaks of the finality because Christ died and it was all over. When he said it is finished, it is finished. Are you done with me? Praise the Lord. One thing that is so important about number nine is broad-mindedness. Knowing that the Lord is without limit. <laughs> now, the Greek world, they compare number nine to the ocean. Now, can you imagine what that looks like? The ocean has no limits. It just flows in a circle. It's all over. It's full. And the Bible talks about the time comes when the knowledge of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, which is just like the ocean. So number nine speaks of being broad-minded. 
What is the scope of your love for people? What is the, the scope? What is, what is the level of your love for humanity? That's number nine. Broad-mindedness. We're talking about a situation where you can love people even though they're not from your tribe, they're not from your tongue, they're not from your family, they're not from your church. You're broad-minded. Because the love of God is shared abroad where? In our hearts. That's number nine. That's number nine. That's Christian character. That's growing in grace. So how much of this have you really come into? Praise the Lord. Like I said, knowing that the Lord is without limits, you can't put God in a box. The wisdom of God is broad all over. You can't structure God. And that tells me something, that you ought to be very intelligent because of number nine, there is no limit to wisdom that you can possess. Because if you have Christ with the wisdom of God, then there's no limit to the wisdom that you can possess as a believer. That's number nine. Are we together? Like I said, the Greeks compare number nine to what? To the ocean. And how you can see the volume of water in the ocean. No limit. No boundary. And not just in wisdom, that is to say, help me now, God. God intends you to spread. Hallelujah. In whatever areas that you supposed to be engaged in, God intends you to spread in it. That's number nine. The factor of number nine. In other words, the energy to spread has been released to you. It is finished on the cross. Everything you need. That's what Peter talks about. The grace talks about godliness. I need to know pertain to divine nature and the knowledge of God. It's finished. I've been released to you. That's number nine. So you don't expect yourself to be living what I would call a narrow-minded life. Praise the Lord. My implication you see life from the viewpoint of God, from the perspective of God. And so, if somebody offends you, for instance, ask the question, if this man has offended God, what will he do? Those will just help you. Are you following me? If this thing that has happened now has happened to God, what will God do? That's the question. God is broad-minded. God loves one major thing to forgive, even his enemies. Hmm? While we were yet enemies, he sent forth what? His only son to reconcile us. And one of the things that comes out of being broad-minded is the spirit of peace and reconciliation. You always want peace at any time if you're broad-minded. So, we find that number nine is a symbol of love and faith. 
Because everything we're describing now, as far as the gospel is concerned, is our faith. And that's number nine. It's a symbol of love and faith. Hallelujah. And that's why you read in Galatians 5 and it says, Against all, there is no law. You know, we talk about law, we talk about faith. Is that okay? Right. Let's get back to that before we come back here. Get back to Galatians 5. Look at verse 22 and 33 again. And then um, it says, no, King James, just give me King James Version. But the fruit of the Spirit, you remember that? One fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The next thing is joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That was the next thing. Temperance, against all, there is no law. That means it's all faith. You know, we are operating on the faith as, as opposed to law. You follow what I'm saying now? Good. So, you find a nine is the number of faith and love which truly defines our worship, our Christian faith. That's number nine. Praise the Lord. Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying? Against thought, there is no law. The just shall live by faith. Who are the just? Those who are justified by the faith that is in Christ. They don't live under law. So, when you operate in faith, you operate in the fruit of the Spirit. So, number nine is what? Love and faith. Praise the Lord. Are you still there? It also speaks about harmony, rest, development, and creation. Number nine speaks of harmony. It talks about rest, development, and creation. Now, you have to see when you talk about creation and development, that is where wisdom comes in. Hallelujah. And so when you start reading, when wisdom is to build, and you begin to talk about wisdom has built or has set a table, creation, number nine. So one of the things is, when you start flowing in this number, then you have creativity taking place in your life. Hallelujah. You can create. You can develop things that perhaps have not been existent before because you are flowing in the wisdom of God. Praise the Lord. We also find that number nine is a perfect number. Why? Because you find that nine is a multiple of three. Three times three equal to nine. 
And you know that three is a symbol of what I would call triunity, which is as a perfect number. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. How I many of you remember that? Good. So it's a multiple of three gives you nine. And in that sense, it symbolizes the will of God. The perfect will of God. Number nine. So when this grace begins to come to you, you begin to know the will of God. You begin to know the mind of God. Now, when you start knowing the will of God, you cannot please men anymore. Neither will you please any system. Because the will of God becomes uppermost in your life. That is where I said in the beginning, Jesus will now say, except you hate your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. Now you come to the place of the will of God. That nothing outside of the will distracts you or attracts you anymore. That's number nine. Hallelujah. Now, you see, if you take this and you go back to that Romans 8, it just finally explained that to you. We, in all of this, we are more than what? Conquerors. Why? If the will is uppermost, there is nothing again that is going to take your attention from what God wants you to do. Nothing. Praise the Lord. Are you following me? So it symbolizes what? The will of God. Three times three gives you nine. And three is triunity, which is a perfect number, which is actually God's number. And that brings you to the will of the Father. You see that? So, you see, I, I just hope that when you read your Bible, with all these studies we are doing, the Bible becomes a new book to you. So that when you read, you'll be able to see some stuff God speaking to you. Hmm? Yesterday in the evening, somebody sent a message to me from, from Lagos and said, Pastor, I know only you can help me with this. And he gave me a particular passage and he said, the Lord asked me to read this. What do you think God is telling me about it? See, this is when you have become completely intimate with the Father. Then know his will. You can no longer be distracted. And God was speaking to that individual. You need justice, you need righteousness. And, and he was saying, I'm confused about that. So you are not confused about it. God is calling you fully into ministry, but you're trying to do business. That is just it. In obedience to his call, you walk in his righteousness, which is now his justice. That is number nine speaking. Knowing the will of God for your life. It's so vitally important. When I told you how I'm struggling, even at this moment, because of the revelation that keeps coming as touching the next phase that he wants me to enter into. Let me tell you something. You have one life to live. Not two, one life. And there's a powerful scripture in the book of Acts. 
which says when David has finished serving his generation, he died. There is something for you in your generation that God intends you to accomplish. Not for another generation. For your generation, there is something for you. For your family, there is something for you. For the church you belong to, there is something for you. You must finish doing that thing which he asks you or he wants you to do. So knowing his will is so vitally important. That's where number nine comes in. Hallelujah. You may not be popular on television. You may not be popular on the pulpit. You may not be... None of those things count. If you know what his will is, that's what matters. Just knowing his will, that's what matters. And that's number nine. That's why it's so powerful. You see, Jesus will pray, God, take this cup from me, but if it is thy will that I drink it, thy will be done. That's what we're talking about. Are you there with me? And the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed that the, you know, the sweat from his body was like tears of blood and and then God heard him. So how was the question? How did God hear him? Did he take the cup from him? Hallelujah. Because anytime we think prayer has to be answered by what you're asking for, that's what you get. But Jesus said, take this cup from me. The Bible said God heard him. So what did he do when he heard him? Did he take the cup from him? No. The Bible made us understand God strengthened him with ministry angels. The will you must do, receive strength. He answered him as he prayed. The prayer was answered, but not what he wanted. And that's why most times you think the way you pray, what you want, that's what you're going to get. No. God still answers you. It's just that you don't know he has answered you because that's not what you expected. But he answered every prayer. There is no prayer God doesn't answer. Especially if it's of his will, he will answer you. First John 5 said, we know if we pray according to his will, he hears us. And you can't be in his will and want to go out of his will, he won't listen to you. He will answer you, but not what you expected. Hallelujah. Praise the living God. Number nine is the symbol of unbridled love, which means that you should serve humanity and be more generous with your talent, your graces, and everything God has given to you. God wants you to serve humanity with it. Unbridled love. Love that cannot be cut short. Just that world that God has shared his love abroad in our hearts. Unbridled love. That is number nine. Hallelujah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't say God so loved Christians. He didn't say God so loved the Jews. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying now? Unbridled love, love that is not streamlined, love that is not 
title one geographical location love that is not tied to a family setting it's not tied to color unbridled love god so loved the world are you see that with me that he gave his only begotten son he gave the son to the world he didn't give it to the jews he didn't give it to christians he didn't give it to buddhists or hindus he gave it to the world. Whatever the world stands for, that's where his love becomes his target. Unbridled love. God intending you that you use all graces in your life, your talent, every ability you have to serve humanity. The goal is humanity. Praise the Lord. Now, I told you here, when we send out these messages for free, and at a point in time, we're thinking, okay, fine. We put them up on the website, put some price tag on them. That already agree with the administrators and the handlers of the website. And I was sitting down and just meditating, and the Lord spoke to me. When you start selling these messages, what else do you have to offer humanity? What do, you, what do you have to give to humanity? What else do you have to give to humanity? The answer says nothing. Then I say, sorry, I'm lost. I go back to the administrator and say, put no price tag on them. I keep on sending them out on WhatsApp. But that's the only way I can give my life to people. You are called to serve humanity. That's number nine. So anything you can do, Whatever capacity you find yourself, whatever level of operation, whatever management position, whatever leadership position you are given to, either in the church or in the home, use it to serve humanity. That is unbridled love flowing from number nine. Are you following me? That's how you give your life out. Isaiah 53, the Bible tells us he poured out his soul. The Bible tells us he poured out his soul. Say, Jesus poured out his soul. Hmm? He poured it out to humanity. Isaiah 53. What do you have to offer humanity? You say, Pastor, I don't have anything. You do. You have some special grace, you have some special talent. You have some love in your life, and I tell you, when you begin to flow and exercise love, more begins to come in. Grace begins to be manifested. I mean, an abundance will come in so that you'll be able to do good. Bible says Jesus went about doing good. How many of you remember that? Praise the living God. There's love in your life. That's what we're saying. How many of you heard about Mother Teresa? You heard about Mother Teresa? What did she have? You tell me. She had love for the dying ones. She had love for the weak ones. She had love. He just said, oh no, I wouldn't want anybody to die without smiling. Just the desire to make people happy. And when she died, even presidents of nations went to the funeral service. What did she do? She saved humanity with her life. 
Are you still there with me? That's number nine. Playing out in the life of that woman. You have not yet sat down to find out exactly what God wants you to do or to become. That's the question. You're just living, I mean, for you, life is about what you can get. Life is about what can come to you. Love is about rating yourself with other people. That is not life. Since two days now, the question keeps ringing. I almost wanted to post on Facebook. What is life? Why am I living? What is life? It just keeps coming. The question just keeps coming. Son, what is life? Tell me what life is. If you think you know. Hallelujah. Life that is lived for self is no life at all. It's dead on arrival. Life that is lived for self is dead on arrival. Life is meant to grow, to go out. Life is meant to give life to other lifeless object or lifeless people, whatever the case may be. The whole world was dead when God sent his son. He sent life to the world. By implication, God sent life to the cemetery. That's what life means. Hallelujah. Many of your ways can become creative. Number nine, development and creation. You remember that? And so that takes you to somewhere like Ezekiel 37. Remember the story? When God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Ezekiel said, I, I don't know. Thou know it, Lord. I mean, if you understand that. And God told Ezekiel, do what? Prophesy to the bones. And Ezekiel said, I prophesy as I was commanded. And the bones came together. Life was impacted. I don't know if you have followed what I'm talking about. That means your life is meant to bring bones that are disjointed together. You are meant to fix people's life. You are meant to get men that are discouraged to become courageous. Glory to God. It's just like a simple word in the book of Judges that God spoke to. Gideon said, Thou mine of mighty valor, go indeed thy strength that you deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianite. And Gideon says, I'm the least in my father's house. What do I have? Say, There's mighty man in your life. He didn't recognize, he never knew that he was a mighty man. There is something in your life that God intended. When we were praying about this, I think the other Friday, so many things were coming out of it. One of the reasons sometimes that God really called you is for the sake of people who have been oppressed. Gideon was training the wine prince behind, hiding from the Midianite, but we're just thinking, where be the God of our fathers that he told us? Where be the miracles that he told us? And God said, no, it's your turn to go deliver these people. Sometimes the way you think about people's life brings the energy and the resources into your hand to be able to solve those problems. 
So Gideon was just thinking about how the Midianites were oppressing the Israelites. And God said, now you go. I give you what it takes to deliver Israel from the hands of the Midianites. The way you think about people, the desire to help can bring resources to your life. The thought of seeing often widows supported in life can bring resources to your life. That's number nine playing out. For me, this is one of the most interesting numbers that I've studied so far in the scriptures. It's so powerful because of the revelation of love, the revelation of the will of God that is found in this number. Three times three equals nine. So, when you start having dreams about number nine, all of these things are the things I'm talking about. Meaning God is trying to talk to you. Grow in grace. Second Peter chapter 1. Grow in grace. God is trying to see. Manifest love. Begin to walk in the fruit of the Spirit. When God starts speaking to you, God is trying to say, in all of these things, you are more than what? Conquerors. Don't allow anything to separate you from the love of God. Are you listening to me? So for me, nine is like a rebet. You're born and you're cold. Number nine comes to you. You're fired up again. So it's like a rebet. So I can equally say number nine is to be born again. A new bet, a new season comes to your life. A new walk with vibrancy and energy coming from God begin to flow through you. Why? Because number nine is playing out. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. And now we walk in the love of the Father flowing in the fruit of the Spirit with love, long-suffering, patience, meekness, gentleness, godliness, temperance. Is, that, is, that, is anybody understanding what I'm saying now? Forgiving one another. And then the next thing we begin to grow in the grace of God. Hallelujah. Without warm and fervent love that cannot be bridled, that cannot be shortened, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How much love do you have? That's my question. Number nine is the number of love and faith. So if you want to talk about faith, you want to talk about love, you're talking about number nine. Praise the living God. Are you sitting there with me? I need you to understand what I'm saying. So when you go to the law, we have nine leprosy people, nine sorcerers, nine judgment. But when you come to the New Testament, which speaks of grace, now you now begin to have the love of God. Overcoming all of those things that were supposed to make you leprous, supposed to make you, you know, an outcast, separate you from people, separate you from the love of God. All of those things are shut down when number nine begins to flow in the New Testament. Praise the living God. I love this number because it's really working. It's a number that makes you to know that life is nothing but to allow the flow of God in your life to manifest to other people. Give joy to people. Make people happy. Give them life. Strengthen the weak. The feeble news, getting them to be strong again. Speak words of grace to people that can bring them much more life and the life of God. Give them hope 
Give them encouragement. That is number nine. So anytime somebody sees you, life flows, joy flows, happiness comes up. No discouragement, no failure, nothing of such. For people just looking at you and being close to your life. You become an embodiment of an ocean of love. No limit, no breediness. God bless you. Love you. Love you. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.